Um, Lord, I'm so excited when I look out and see all these awesome uh, high school faces. Um, but Lord, we want to dive into your word. We're excited about that as well. And uh, Lord, it's just a good week. Um, it's cooled down. It's starting to feel like fall. And Lord, we're excited about who you are. We're excited what you're doing in our lives and really still just for a new year of Oasis. So God, would you show up tonight? Would your spirit fall in this place and speak to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I guess first of all, I was going to say again, if you're a guest tonight, if like a friend invited you or this is the first time you've ever come, um, thanks for coming. I hope you have a great time. I hope you enjoy being here. Uh, this is week four tonight in uh, On the Move, series we started at the beginning of the year. Um, going through our series, or our, our series, our vision, Oasis's vision. Um, so we said from the beginning, we said this every week, our vision is, the reason Oasis exists is to build a great community for all high school students through a movement of God that brings personal conversion, identity transformation, and cultural renewal um, to Omaha students and to the world. And uh, I know those things are maybe kind of vague, so like James unpacked um, personal conversion last week. Um, tonight we're going to talk about identity transformation, what that means, and next week you're like, what the heck is cultural renewal? So we're going to dive into that next week. Um, so just as a review, I just mentioned James taught last week, and James said a lot of things. He said a lot of good things. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me the most was this, and um, this isn't rocket science, and you all heard this last week if you were here, but he said this. He said, we're all converted, we're all converted to something. We're all converted to something. Um, some people are maybe converted to Jesus, but you might be converted to um, this worldview that says, I'm the man. And I am the master of my universe, and I got to do what I want to do. Um, even the most hardened atheist, you guys, has converted to that view. Have you ever thought about that? And he unpacked that last week. I don't mean to go on it today, but I just I thought that was so huge. So some people are converted to Jesus. Some people are converted to this thing over here or this thing over here, or I have to be entertained, and so my God is entertainment and comfort, and I'm going to do anything I can to essentially serve that God. So we don't think about it in religious terms. Um, but even a non-religious person jumps into that, um, I think non-religious world is the best, and the rest of you, you're all wrong. Um, so everybody's converted by something. The question is, what are you going to be converted by? So that was last week. Um, tonight, we're kind of going from that and moving into, like, now what? So we're talking about how God transforms our identities, like, who are we as people? What are we about? What is your identity in? Um, and so we know that when we become Christians, our lives change, or at least we hear that they're supposed to. And so um, we're kind of like, how does that work? And um, for some of you as a high school student, maybe you've wondered before, maybe you've, you've thought, um, like, how do I get this transformation thing? How do I get this new I identity that I sometimes hear about. I'm a Christian, you say, or, or I want to be a Christian. I'm very, very close to being a Christian. Maybe you've never actually converted, as we talked about last week. But you maybe say this, I still struggle with the same things that I struggled with three years ago before I was a Christian in middle school. What's up with that? I thought that when you gave your life to Christ, suddenly everything was perfect and great, and God took all your problems away, and God took all your, your sins and temptations away. So how... Are we transformed? Now, I know I, here's the thing, I, I wrestled with that question and I struggled with that a ton when I was in high school. And uh, I know, you guys, high school's, high school's hard. 
And some of you, I think, are like, you adults don't remember, like, how difficult it is. But some of you are like, you're like, Brad, I'm facing pressure every day of just the things I hear, the things people say to me in the hallways. My schedule is outrageous. Look, uh, all of us leaders in the room, as far as I know, have been to high school. And, and it is difficult. I want to give you that. We know what it's, we know what it's like. Um, it's tough. But here's the thing. It is possible to get through it, to work through it. Now, maybe you're like, um, Brad, some of those things that I've done, like I've sometimes wrestled with, how can I even, like, can I even be a Christian because I, I did this once? Um, can I even be a Christian because this happened to me? And so we kind of wrestle with some of the things. Here's some of the things that I remember when I was dealing with essentially how to change in high school. It was basically this, that I would move from one identity to the next. Have you done this or have you seen this in people? So here's, here's, my, uh, here's my identity progression. In middle school, I was in love with basketball. My whole world revolved around basketball. Um, I was on the team. I was the captain of the team in seventh grade. I thought I was awesome. I'm chewing my mint. I'm sorry. I'm still... Altoids are so good, but I popped it too late. Basketball was everything to me. You guys, if I wasn't at practice, um, on the court, at the school, I'd be in my driveway almost every night. Loved basketball. Um, But by the time I hit high school, one, I was a little afraid of the coach. Two, um, basically, I just wasn't quite as good anymore. At home, I practiced on an eight-foot hoop because I lowered it a little too too long, and uh, I was not very good at basketball. So high school, guess what? Football, right? I didn't have football in middle school, but so high school, new identity. I'm going to be a football player, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be wide receiver, and I'm going to, it's going to be great. And you know what? It wasn't great at all. For one, as a freshman, you never get to play. You have four freshman games. The upperclassmen, on the other hand, think that you're like a runt, and they literally would like headbutt you at every game on Friday night without a helmet on. It was like this, uh, what is that called? Hazing. It was miserable, and the coaches didn't care. Um, Football was a disaster, and uh, not a lot of fun. Okay, new identity, right? So we try all these things, but my next thing, sophomore year, golf. Golf was was the same, I kid you not, the same season as football, and so people who didn't go out for football, they went out for golf, and so I was like, I'm going to be a golfer. Golf is great. You can golf when you're 70 years old. You can't play football anymore then, so I'm going to golf. And, uh, and that would have been great, too. Lots of free every day after school, free practice. I, I was the worst person on the team. I, they wouldn't let me compete with all the other teams because I was, the, I was that bad. It was me and one other guy that they were like, well, whatever. You can go play with, you know, this guy, but you're not competing. Um, we moved from one to the next. I'm going to keep going, though. I moved two states west after my sophomore year. I moved from Illinois to Kansas. Suddenly, this is what I was. I, I kind of gave up on sports, right? I like, tried everything, didn't work. So I was the non-sports guy slash punk rock kid. I kind of went through this phase where I bleached my hair and wore like tight, uh, those kind of tight necklaces. Mixed with, mixed with the new kid. I was just a new kid. Pretty Prairie, Kansas gets a new kid once every 10 years, and so it was kind of a big deal that... This guy showed up. Anyway, new kid mixed with girls. Not a ton. I wasn't a womanizer, but somewhat it was like, girls. My identity is girls. I like girls. I'm in high school and I like girls, which is fairly common. And interspersed all throughout are these little interjections of a little weekend here. God, I'm, a, I'm about God right here. 
We just had a little weekend retreat. Summer camp for one week. I'm about God for right now, and then I'm back to girls. Um, I'm back to new kid. Um, you guys, can you relate to that? Some of you have seen your friends go through that. A lot of you have gone through that. You're in the middle of one right now that you just came out of because you're a freshman and you, whatever, you're trying to adapt to high school. If you're a senior, you've seen the progression over your years. Maybe you can relate. Thomas Chalmers, you guys, who's this great old Puritan preacher, he's dead now, he's, I think maybe in the 17th century, he wrote this in an essay called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he's kind of writing old, I mean, slightly difficult language. But he says this, he writes this, It is seldom that any of our bad habits or flaws are made to disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed, and one taste may be made to give way to another. The heart's desire for having one object or another, this is unconquerable. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Well, what's this guy, so what's he saying? He's basically saying what, what you and what I've experienced um, over and over again, that changing our old, our old habits and our old identities can only happen when they're replaced by something greater, by something more beautiful, more attractive. Almost always, you guys, you try something new, and eventually it gets old, and you move on to something else. I mean, for me, basketball didn't satisfy football. Football's, football's my life. Football is awesome. Wait, no, it's not. Golf. Golf is going to be so awesome. I'm going to be the best person on the team. Oh, wait, you stink. Girls, it's just, you go through this one after another. In all seriousness, you guys, listen to me. Think about this. If somebody asked you the question, if somebody came to you just one-on-one and said, um, and they asked you the question, who are you? Who are you? And I don't mean what's your name. If they said, just who are you? How would you answer that without giving your name and who you're the, the child of or something? Who are you? What is your identity? Where is your identity found? You guys, those identities that we have, um, that you have, are they fulfilling? Do, do you even want them? Because our first reaction, some of you go to, I'm a singer, I'm in show choir, I, I play football, I, I play this. This is, this is who I am, I'm, I'm kind of a creative type. Um, this is notorious in high school. That's why you see people switch from being a, a athletic, to um, gothic, to I'm um, preppy, to I'm um, all these different things. Um, do you even enjoy those identities that you have for yourselves? Are you a slave to your parents' expectations of you? Some of you, your parents drive you to do the things that you do so hard that you hate them, but you can't stop because your parents will be mad. For some of you, um, it's maybe fear. You have certain bad habits. You you swear like crazy at school, but you can't stop because you've done that your whole life. All your friends would be like, what happened to you? Why did you just suddenly stop doing it? And so it's fear. Like, I don't know what my friends are going to think of me. Do you feel stressed out beyond comprehension? And you want to quit things, but you've got to keep every plate spinning or you're going to, you don't know what's going to happen, but people are going to be mad at you, and so you keep it going. Here's the thing I want to look at tonight. When we look into Scripture, what does the Bible say this new identity comes from? Where are we supposed to find this new identity? What does that consist of? How does God change and transform our lives? Where do we find the new identity that's supposed to replace 
the old ones, the old habits, the old sins and temptations. What is more beautiful and more life-giving than where we're at right now? Um, so I want you to grab your Bibles. I hope you have one. I want you to dive into the, the Scriptures every week, so grab one, bring your own. But turn with me to Romans chapter 8. This is the one week in this series where we're not in Isaiah. Um, there's just so much other good content in the New Testament, but um, we're in Romans 8 tonight. Romans 8 is perhaps my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I kind of have a lot of those. And it says this. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the best verses in the Bible. Coming straight out, I mean, really kind of following up a conversion talk. I mean, that's not exactly where he's at in Romans 7, but Paul's writing this. And Paul kind of says, now that you're in Christ, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, Paul, Paul puts it like this. He says, the law of the spirit of life, this new identity, the spirit of life, set me free from the old law, the law of sin and death. This new, he calls it a law, but this, he says the spirit of life set me free from these old things. Now, what, what's the Spirit here? This is talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, also referred to as the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God throughout the Bible. This is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is kind of God's change, change agent. But um, skip with me down to, to verse 5. So Paul writes this, according, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Okay, now time out. Let's talk about this a little bit. So, we all have a sinful nature. We don't talk about that a lot, but if you have a human body... You have a sin, a sin nature. By nature, you are sinful. That happened from the moment you were conceived. It happened when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Everything is broken, not just you, but the earth and everything. So everybody has a sin nature, non-believers and believers. But this is, Paul kind of talks about, he's kind of differentiating between those who are governed by the sinful nature versus the Spirit. Now, only Christians have the Holy Spirit. He'll kind of get into it later, but if you are a true Christian, if you've truly been converted to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It's not something you like get later, it's kind of a second something, second blessing or something. If you're a true Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Um, now, he's basically, though, saying, look at verse 5 again. Um, he's kind of going back and forth and saying, look, if you're a Christian, there's kind of this battle between your sin nature and the Spirit, because if you're a Christian, you have both of these within you. And the Spirit wants you to obey the Lord, and the sinful nature doesn't. Um, but here's the thing. Paul makes a huge deal right here about what your mind is set on. If you want to know the practical, the practical how-tos here, he just says this. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Those who are governed by the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Okay, Time out. So here's the test. 
When you're, when you're at school and you're all by yourself, well, maybe you're not all, but you're sitting in class and you start daydreaming, what's the thing that, you, that your mind goes to the quickest and the most often? What is it that you daydream about the most? Maybe it's not even at school. When you're at home and you just like to sit and let your mind wander, what's the number one thing your mind goes to? You don't need to say it out loud, but that's probably a pretty good indicator of what has your heart, of what, of what your identity is found in, right? At least right now. You ever think about that? The Spirit, I said, is the change agent of God. The Spirit is the only one who's actually going to change your heart. So um, you don't just need therapy, and you're in high school, so you're probably not getting therapy anyway. Now, is, is therapy good and helpful? For some people, yes. Maybe for everybody it's, it's helpful. But that's not the only thing you need. You don't just need to write some goals out. Now, writing goals is a good thing, but again, you need more than just that. You don't need um, simply to just stop doing that, whatever that is. You, you keep telling yourself, I need to stop doing this. Well, you maybe do need to stop doing this, but what you really need is a new heart. You need a heart change. You can try all the new plans and the new whatever, the new diets, the new therapists, the new whatever, but it's only going to be temporary. What you need is a new heart. You need the Holy Spirit to change you, to transform you, and that, that's the change agent with God. It's the Holy Spirit. So let's finish this. Skip down with me again to verse 12. Same chapter, verse 12. Let's finish this. So Paul writes, therefore, brothers, we do have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, so if by the Spirit you get rid of the old identity, the old habits, the old things that you were all about, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You guys are sons and daughters of God. That's, that's a pretty cool identity right there. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You know what our old identities do? They make us a slave to fear. You get trapped in this certain habit or you're prone to lie and so you start telling lies to your parents. Eventually, you're enslaved to fear. But not with the new spirit. You're, you received, it says, a spirit of sonship. And by him, by that spirit, we cry, Abba, this very, very intimate word, Daddy. By that spirit, we cry, Daddy, Father. You guys, it's only if you have the Holy Spirit that you can approach God and say, you're my heavenly Father. You are my spiritual Daddy. I am totally and utterly yours. I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, now, if we, are, if we are children, then we are heirs. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, if we identify with how Christ has suffered on our behalf, in order that we might also share in his glory. Um, that's a tremendous, those, pet, those like final couple verses, you guys speak all kinds of identity stuff. Will you receive the spirit of sonship? That by the spirit we're God's children, your sons and daughters of God? Um, you can call God your father, which means nothing. There is no condemnation. A lot of us tend to think something bad happens to you, and immediately you go back to like that last lie you told. Like, dang it, God's punishing me. My mom is sick because I keep telling lies. You guys, that, is, that was completely done away with on the cross. There is no like retribution from God. If you're a Christian, 
you have the Holy Spirit, you are locked in. I mean, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Um, you guys, this is the gospel. We talk about this every week. All of your sin and ugliness and disobedience and old identities, all, Christ took all of that on the cross and he took it. And you know what you get? You get all of Christ's beauty and righteousness and perfection. And so when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ. He sees the beauty of Christ. And if we believe that, we just, we got to buy into that. We are so, so quick to go back into like old thoughts, just like, oh, I'm such a piece. I'm such a, such a piece of garbage. I'm so worthless. God can't love me. I keep doing this. It's, it's so false, you guys. It's totally lies from the enemy. Um, now, will you still sin as a Christian? Yes, you know that. You will still struggle with sin. And when you do struggle with sin, don't start to believe either that it just doesn't really matter anymore. Like, well, I know I'm saved and Brad said that, so I can sin all I want. Don't have that attitude. I mean, it's just, here's the thing. As long as we're in this body, as long as we have a body, we will always be sinful. In fact, what you guys are probably fine is what I've found, that my, my typical sin habits from high school, they begin to change as you graduate and get into college, but you never stop sinning. Your sins, your sins just kind of morph. I mean, so maybe you're not, you don't struggle with lust or swearing or whatever anymore, but then you maybe struggle with pride and arrogance or self-righteousness. You look down on other people. It's still, you just traded one sin for another. So you're still going to sin, but with the new identity of the Spirit, you have a whole, you have a different driver for your life. It's just not natural for you to go back to those old ways. Here's kind of my favorite illustration of this. Um, when we were in tribe, I know a group of you, um, we read uh, this book called The Smell of Sin. Some of you remember this. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a, whole, a huge group of you, but there's this illustration of The Smell of Sin that, that kind of says to go back like that when you have this new identity is kind of like, um, say you're locked up in prison for years and years and years. You, whatever, doesn't matter what you did, but you were in prison and you do your time, you know, you're in prison for like 20 years and you, you finally get released. You, you did your time and you get out. Um, wouldn't it be so stupid if like, Every day or the next day, you like went back and you were like, can you, can you lock me up again? Will you, can you just put me in behind the bars? Um, you, you have a new identity that reads free man or free woman. And you're like, please lock me up. Wouldn't that be like just unnatural? That would be the stupidest thing ever, right? Now, sometimes that happens. It's just an illustration. Sometimes people are like, I don't know how to function out here. But here's the thing. You have a new driver for your life that brings freedom. When you're enslaved in certain sin habits, you know that you hide from people. It locks you into isolation. You feel maybe dirty about yourself or you, you feel like, oh, I'm such a worthless person. Look, you have a new driver for your life. Someone different is in the driver's seat. So sure, you're still going to go back to those things at times. You're not going to be perfect. But hopefully those things happen less and less. And hopefully you maybe become more aware of your sin, but you also become more aware of the gospel and more aware of the holiness of God and more aware of what redemption means for you. Um, I've said this numerous times the past two years. Um, this is from uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite pastors. But he says this, our, that our identity is this, that you are more flawed and sinful than you'd ever dare believe, and yet, at the very same time, more loved and accepted by the God of the universe. That you are both simultaneously sinful and absolutely loved and accepted. 
It's utterly both. You will not become this perfect, uh, sinless saint. It's utterly both. And that actually is, I mean, you cannot feel superior to others because you're still just a sinner saved by grace. So you can't feel superior to anybody. At the same time, you can't, fear, you can't feel inferior to others because you're loved by the God of the universe. He loved you so much, he, he went to the cross for you. He took hell for you. You can't feel inferior to other people. You're, you're redeemed. You're brand new. So, two things kind of to wrap up an application. Um, what should you do with this? What should you do? First of all, um, this question, do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Do you know for sure that you have the Holy Spirit in you? You're like, well, Brad, how do I, how do I know that for sure? Are you a Christian? Really? Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You probably don't feel any different. You don't you maybe didn't feel like some whatever grand thing happened when you came to know Christ, but as a result of maybe even the past two weeks, have you gone to, gone to the Lord and just said, God, I, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. God, thank you for taking my sin. I need, I repent. I need your forgiveness. Have you ever said that to God? And if you haven't, you need to do that to start with. Secondly, here's the thing. Paul makes a big deal about what are you thinking about over and over again, not just in Romans 8 and Colossians 3 and elsewhere, um, he says, what are you setting your minds on? So, write this down and memorize this verse. It's the simplest verse ever to memorize. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's very, very similar language for, from Romans 8, but this is Colossians 3. This is Colossians 3, the first three verses as you're writing that down. This is identity language too. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Again, what's that saying? It's saying exactly what I already said. When, when God looks down on you, he sees that you're hidden in Christ. All he sees is the perfection and the righteousness of Christ. You're, you're covered. You're atoned for. You're perfect. But he didn't just die for your sins. He also gives you his righteousness and his Holy Spirit. So you can live a totally and completely transformed life. Christ offers you himself. And you guys, over and over I say this. Life with, with God is the most satisfying life there is. Um, maybe you're tempted by other things, and maybe you try other things, but I hope, you, I hope you taste and see that God is good. You get freedom from guilt and shame and fear. And uh, I'm going to close with this quote. <clears throat> um, this, this is a quote from uh, this author named Tim Chester, just a really great guy. Um, but he writes this. It's up on the screen. If we don't delight in God for his own sake finding him beautiful and glorious in our eyes, then we'll serve him for what we get in return. Reputation, security, escape from hell. And in so doing, we reveal that our greatest love is our reputation, our security, our self-preservation, ourselves, not God. We're just trying to get things from God. It's easy for us to think of obedience as the price we pay for entry into heaven. 
It would be better for us, we suppose, to be living for pleasure, but as Christians, we have to live for God. But he says, no, no, no. The life of obedience is not the bad or the sad life. It's the good life. Life with God and for God is the best life you could live. Change is about enjoying the freedom from sin and the delight in God that God gives to us through Christ, through Jesus. You guys, my question to you is, will you let the Holy Spirit transform you? Will you let him? It's not, it's not miraculous. Do you have to put forth effort? I mean, yeah, you work out everything that, that God works into you. You have to work that out. But God does it. You just live it out. Let's pray. God, um, I thank you, God, that you give us your Holy Spirit. God, even um, at the end of John, Jesus says to the disciples um, that he wouldn't leave them as orphans. God, that he would send to them another one, a helper, his own spirit. And so, Lord, you give us your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to live inside of us. God, you are God's change agent. You are the one who transforms us. God, it doesn't mean that um, someday we'll wake up and we'll be super saints. But Lord, you give us the power over sin. We now have a new driver for our life if we're a Christian. We don't have to give in to those temptations anymore. We don't have to be enslaved to that, to that habit. God, we now have the capacity to tell people the truth in love. We don't have to lie. We don't have to cover up. We don't have to cuss to look cool in front of our friends. God, we so often still believe that. God, I, it's hard in high school. God, I pray that you would be transforming our hearts. God, I pray that we, would, that we would preach this to ourselves over and over again. God, help us to set our minds on things above and not on all these temporary things here on earth. And so, God, tonight, for people in this room that have, have still never given, never given you their life, never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I repent, I need salvation, I need Jesus, I need a Savior, God, I pray that you do that tonight. It can be as simple as just crying out to God on your own. And Lord, for the rest of us, God, we need this truth. We're so, we're so wrecked by the brokenness on this earth. We're so tempted by it sometimes, but God, it doesn't satisfy. Only you do, and we're thankful for that. So God, we rejoice in you tonight. We thank you um, for who you are and for being with us always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if, um, again, we kind of do this teaching time, and then we're going to go to life groups, to small groups. If you're new or you don't know where you're going, Come talk to me or go with your friend. Um.